welcome back guys to part two of our conversation with matt um yeah we're just gonna continue yeah so uh before we stopped or before in part one we were talking about the difference between uh two of our courses in at university of toronto 137 versus 237 that's our first year calculus and second year calculus courses respectively so matt maybe you just want to finish up on the topic the main difference between the two yeah for sure i mean as Ray said, we off, they offer uh, like the, the university offers like series, in which case you can take the two, three, five series, which is going to be a dedicated calculus course, which is in the sense that it's just the machinery of calculus necessary to apply to some statistics, apply to some optimization problems, apply to some physics, apply to some, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, the two, three, seven is going to be calculus and analysis. So you're going to get into the construction of these objects from like, a rigorous standpoint but then mm-hmm. the course also emphasizes like applications mm-hmm. where then we also offer 257 which is just analysis 2 which is basically only the rigorous construction not that many applications but uh yeah the what i was just saying before is just um i strongly recommend 237 mm-hmm. cuz once again with 237 you don't only get the rigor you you get a, it's like kind of the perfect in between. You get this, you get a lot of application that helps you so much with a ENM. I can't even like explain it. Like PHY two fifty is all multivariable calculus, surface integrals, volume integrals, like hmm. path integrals, all that stuff. And if you don't mind me asking, what did you get in the course? Yeah, I got an eighty five. In two three seven? No, in two three seven I got a ninety one. In fifty. What? what What? yeah yeah Yeah. oh my okay yeah the uh that's okay there's another inspo for you guys if you want to hear it like once it came in did not have good marks necessarily and my first course is probably like a b minus average and i killed myself for being on this average in first year and then this semester that just passed is when i earned my first proper 4.0 so where phy 250 was my lowest mark being the 86 so if you get it, just grind, just grind. Wow. Grind. Wow. That is, uh... wow. that is very inspiring. Yeah. I'm just saying it should be you guys. I did way worse than you guys. You guys are definitely like, yeah, but you ended a lot higher. I mean, you'll get there. You'll get there. It took soon, me a little bit. Yes. Very, I'm not, I'm confident you guys will be just fine. Mm-hmm. So I guess I want to start out this part two, if we're just uh, starting to talk about it, yeah. with um, just talking about physics and math in general, mm-hmm. right? So like um, maybe some future concepts and stuff. So something that I think a lot of people are looking into right now and a lot of people are saying could be the future of you know computing and stuff is quantum computing, right? Yeah. So what are your opinions or ideas on it? You think it's possible? Do you think maybe one day we can get a quantum laptop? You think that's a possibility? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? It's it's fascinating first and foremost. Um, it's kind of mind blowing. Um, it's almost scary. It's like you know, especially I don't I don't know how much the listeners kind of like are familiar with like the capabilities of these machines, but it's it's just absolutely insane. But in terms of like the physics behind it, it's also fascinating. And I do think quantum laptop. I don't know if I'm knowledgeable enough to, to give a time frame on something like that at all, mm-hmm. but I think the possibility of these devices is like so incredible. And I think the math and the physics that underpins them is incredible. Like the, the linear algebra that 
goes behind the, the programming of these things and even just on a pure like computer science level. Are you uh, interested at all in computer science? Like do you code in like your spare time or stuff? I'm actually thinking of, I'm still considering potentially doing a computer science minor. Yeah. I, I'm taking one, 108 and 148 and maybe 165, but in practical physics, which is your, I believe it's PHY2, 204. I don't know exactly what the course code is, but you'll take it first semester, second semester next year as, as specialists. Um, mm-hmm. You do a lot of scientific programming there. So I've done a lot of Python over the last two years and uh, it's really interesting, but I don't have, I don't have a, a direct love for it as, as a field in itself. Like I, my friend actually asked me this exact same question and he studies like liberal arts and he's like, you know, how do you, do you love computer science in and of itself? And I go, people can do computer science as an art, right? You can absolutely just get really theoretical with it and, you know, do a lot of really cool stuff and not necessarily need it to be applicable. Just like math. You can do a lot of math that's not applicable to, in like a direct sense, right? True. I guess that, yeah, I guess that, that is actually true. Yeah. And I view it like this. I view the computer scientists, this is like kind of, ad hoc since hopefully no one like shoots me for my opinion but at least how i take it is the computer scientist is like the guy at the body shop you can build an incredible car and it can be beautiful and it be aesthetic and be useful and whatnot but to me it's still a car and it drives right yeah you do something you, you press run at the end of the day with that code you know what i mean yeah, yeah. math like a painting it's art for the sake of it do you know what i mean and i'm mm-hmm. that personally you know what I mean? Like when I'm doing, yeah. I can love it. I can be deep in it. It can look great, work great. But to me, it's still a car. I still just want it to output the physics that I'm doing. And the physics, physics is the painting and so is the math. You know what I mean? I find yeah. it a bit more pure of an art than the computer science. True. Because there's something really like not primal, but like just nice, I guess, yeah. about like picking up a pencil and just writing math, you know? Yeah, ideas straight from your, it just, you're like yanking thoughts. You know? yeah. Same with the comp side, but at the end of the day, I still view the comp side as more functional, but it's artistic, don't get me wrong, but to me, it's more functional art, like a car. Mm-hmm. True, I agree. How about we just talk about like what you guys are really looking forward to learning in the uh, the coming years or year or year or so, and I can kind of just like add my perspective having done quite a bit of what you guys sure. are doing. Okay, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, so I'm really excited to learn about like Maxwell's equations and things like that. Um, I like my favorite. Uh, I've said this before. Like my favorite unit was like E and M, definitely. So I'm really excited to take like a course that's completely dedicated to that. Mm-hmm. And in math, I am super excited to like do analysis like i just want to i just want to get to an analysis but i feel like i need to learn a lot more before i get there okay what about you right for me i'm actually incredibly excited for quantum mechanics Mm. i think i've said this many 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 times and i'm very scared i'll tell you that because uh, you know i've heard all the terrible stories with oh i got a i got a 25 percent in my third year quantum mechanics course stuff like that so I'm equally nervous, equally excited, but I think that's definitely the course or topics I'm most excited about because I've just always been excited and interested in particle physics and 
how the fact that, you know, physics on a quantum level is just so dramatically different from physics on a classical level. I just found that interesting. Yeah. So I could just kind of touch on each one separately. So first with the ENM, um, that's a really good, uh, what's it called, thing to look forward to because ENM is perfect. I don't know how else to describe that. Like it is the way it's been formulated right now and the way we express it, the language, the it's so self-consistent. It's one of the best physical theories we have, at least on the level right. you're about to learn it. Not quantum ENM or relativistic, which is also damn near bulletproof, but the one that you're going to be concerning yourself with in the next year is like so, so well put together. And it just feels so, it's going to be one of the first, like, how do I word this? You know how for the past two, three years of your physics life, it's kind of been maybe felt a little cut and paste in the sense where you go, okay, now we're in rotational motion and now we're kind of in special relativity and now we're, kind yeah. of, and you're kind of like, you're kind of just putting it all together and like kind of this collage sort of thing. E&M is True. Really the most complete picture that you've seen today. It's going to, you start from like the complete ground up where you define force fields then you generalize it to an electric field and then you define energy and you define charge as opposed to mass to be the, the substance or the quantity that interacts with these fields. And if you go real slow with it, it's going to feel like the first time you just, it's going to feel a lot like you're inventing this physics. Like you get to see it happen from like ground zero. You know what wow, I mean? That's incredible. With any preconceived anything where like even in grade 11 physics, you understood like rolling a ball. And you go, oh, it would move, and you had preconceived notions. This one's gonna feel like from like scratch. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, you're gonna really. I think you'll sink your teeth into it. It gets complicated. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it doesn't have its like, trickiness to it. And you'd be like, oh, why is that true and stuff like that? But it's in terms of its axioms, it's so so fundamentally sound. Now quantum mechanics, on the other hand. <laughs> We all know quantum theory is one of the most well-tested theories in physics and modern physics. And it's really, it's really confusing, but it is still very self-consistent. Like it predicts accurately and, and whatnot. And, you know, uh -huh. it's good. Like it's really solid, but the way it's quantum mechanics is one of those things that there's no good way to get started. It's just like, at least from what I know, <laughs> there's, it just, it's not going to feel as holistically like, nice as enm does it's gonna be more like okay 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 you lost me yeah i remember when we started our quantum mechanics unit he just pulled out like the wave equation i'm just like wait hold on <laughs> give me one second <laughs> before we start this like yeah. they, they'll start you off with like basic probability theory so like you know the wave function as a probability density function or well not the wave function but it's amplitude squared or it's modulus which I'm sure yeah. you guys are nerds. You definitely all are all on those YouTube videos and you've seen like psi absolute value squared and like all that stuff. Before. Yeah. I can say these things like <laughs> passing without you guys being like completely like what is he even talking about? But, yeah. You know, they'll introduce it as a probability as a probability really is what it is. And then everything will pretty much be a probability, right? Literally. In and, that then course. and then it just kind of all falls off the deep end, at least for a country <laughs> one course. Because then they get into Hilbert space and what these wave functions actually are as vector objects in a Hilbert space. And then that's when you need a lot, a lot of linear algebra. And then that's when we get into the really fun discussion is how much math 
should you learn before you do any physics? And me and my friend have like talked extensively about this and we have our own opinions and I want to get you guys's. But at least for me, I'm like, man, I don't even know because. <laughs> yeah. It depends how, like how much you want to know about physics. Exactly. I think. And how theoretical too. Yeah. Applied physics, I think you can get away with a bit more, but yeah, go ahead. I think the really interesting thing about physics, and this is something that I've noticed for like a long time, is that very, very, very simple concepts are actually like not that simple if you really go on a deep physics level. You know, like for example, as you were talking about a rolling ball, right? Mm -hmm. It can seem so simple if we're doing it in grade 11 physics. But let's say we have like a rolling ball example in second or third year university physics. Mm -hmm. It'll probably be with like a bunch of things, Mm -hmm. right? So analyzing the same situation with more physics knowledge, I think just requires more math knowledge because to go to that, because every physics concept, or at least, or at least I think this, yeah. every physics concept can be made harder just mm-hmm. by including more math, you know, cause I think the perfect example is F equals MA, right? Like you were talking about how that's just an ordinary equation, but if you were to dig deeper, you see that it's a differential equation. And then you can just keep piecing things apart, you know? So I think that's really cool that every single topic can be just made 10 times harder if you include more math in it. Yeah, 10 times harder, but also 10 times more in depth. Yeah, true, true. Like once you actually, like it was like, for example, I think this this thing, this will excite you because it excited the shit out of me when I did it, in <laughs> second year, which was like, remember in high school when they would just give you the uh, projectile motion equation? Yeah. yeah. Or, or pardon me, or the trajectory equation. Was that big one? You know that big like, where like, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? The trajectory, what, like for the for the distance on the ground. No, it's a it's a, like a y is a function of x, so it just gives you the height as a as a function of its like a uh, horizontal position. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, 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 yeah. It's really big and shitty. When you actually start getting to understand f equals ma on an ordinary differential equation basis you get to actually start solving it and manipulating it and derive all these kinematic formulas you were given. So like X equals X note plus V note T plus half AT, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. These, these things literally unfold in front of you. If you even, if you just know that it's a differential equation and you know how to solve differential equations, it's so crazy. It was like the first time in my life where I was just doing a problem and I was like, Oh, I just stumbled upon the trajectory equation. Yeah. I do find that super in super um satisfying like when when you see an equation like in grade 11 and then you get to the point where like you can just like go to the origin and derive that equation mm-hmm. and it's like wow like I know a lot more than I used to know. Oh yeah, every single one of those kinematic equations you'll just you'll be like of course. That's how it'll feel. It'll be like why wouldn't it be? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like even E equals MC squared, when we derived that, mm-hmm. I was so satisfied. Like very confused, I'll tell you that. I was extremely confused. Yeah. But I was so satisfied that I had finally known the derivation of special relativity, one of the most famous equations in the world. Like that's a very satisfying feeling. So I definitely understand that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Even and even the the derivation presented then, I correct me if I'm wrong, it was more so a physical argument they gave. Like it, like the the setup at least, yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah. kind of, like, okay, let's consider something moving like this, and like, you know what I mean? It was it's a physical mm-hmm. it was a physical argument they gave. When you get later, the more math you do, and if you if you stay in like a 
is expecting whatnot, you'll see it derived from a math perspective and it's equally as fascinating. It's probably, it's like more, I have a linear algebra textbook on my shelf right now that has a subsection of chapter nine, just called the special theory of relativity. Oh, damn. <laughs> they break it down just on a linear algebra level where they just go, you know, X, Y, Z, T. Yeah. yeah. Space and then a, a time coordinate as well. So mm-hmm. they, that's a four tuple of real numbers, of course. So it's just an element of R4, which mm-hmm. is a Euclidean vector. I don't know how, have you guys taken two, two, three? Yeah. 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 So you're following me at least. Yeah. yeah. You, can, you can then just view some, like a, a particle space time coordinate as just an element of R4. And then you can start applying, you can think about what does it mean? Like for what is the span of a space time coordinate? What's a, you know, what's a subspace in terms of these, in terms of a physical sense, you know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. space time is just, you know, a kind of an, well, I mean, I don't want to speak wrong and then have someone, it's, it's a <laughs> embedding within, you know, it's a differentiable manifold with like, you know, a Ramanian metric. It's like a very fancy thing, but the point is yeah. dimensional space, right? Mm-hmm. You have an X, Y, Z, and a T. So like, even the reason why I kind of brought that up is just, it's so interesting how you can just go so much more into it when you have that math. Uh-huh, true. Have you taken 224? Yeah. How did you find that? It was great. It was the first time you get to generalize a vector from just a Euclidean thing. So like a a tuple of real numbers, right? Like yeah. Z T or W or whatever, like X1, X2, X2. And then you go, no, a vector is just an object. Like a matrix is a vector. That might sound insane yeah. to you now, but uh, it is. And so is a function. Like certain functions, you can define a vector space on, like the set of all continuous real valued functions is a vector space. And you can add continuous, fun- you know, if you do, you learned this in 137, you take the, the sum of two continuous real valued functions and you get a continuous real valued function. Yeah. 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 That is very similar to how you can add two vectors and still get a vector in the vector space. So that's oh, that's true. I never really thought of it like that. You can take a product like f times g, and they're both continuous and real valued. And once again, you get a continuous and real valued function. So there you go. It's closed under products as well. So that's a vector space in and of itself. So you get to generalize these ideas and go. Vector is just a word. Vector is just an object. It's not an arrow. It's not like a. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. a set of objects that satisfy specific axioms, which are vector space axioms. But point is, all this generalization of math lets you generalize physical reality because physical reality is very weird, of course. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, next year I'm taking APM 4.6, which is um, general relativity, but applied in, in a math perspective. So they, you guys, if you stay in the physics spec, you'll take things like PHY 483 or something, which is general relativity, but the physics course. So it's a PHY. But they also offer a general relativity from a math standpoint, APM, which is applied math. So Uh-oh. it gets to a point where you can approach these subjects completely on a math side or on a physical side. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. That's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, like you can view in the physics side, you can kind of study space time and all of its crazy mm-hmm. from a physical standpoint, or you could view it on the math side and go, oh, this is just a manifold and we can do all these things with it and unravel like super theoretical and like prove all these different things about it. And, but yeah, it just harkens to the fact that the more, don't be scared of the math. The math literally makes your physics 
exponentially better. You get a little inch more math, like you get or differential equations. Now F equals MA is like explodes in possibilities. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's like the okay. Math takes your physics like tenfold forward. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then if you get even more math, your physics just like explodes. That's what Einstein had to do to even get general relativity. He had to work for like 10 years with different mathematicians, potential yeah. geometers, and like these guys to go like, hey, like I I posit that this is kind of like the nature of space time, but I can't I can't write it down yet. Like I need you guys to, you know what I mean? Yeah, he had yeah. to learn he had to learn the language of math yeah. to be able to translate his ideas. Yeah, absolutely. So uh we were actually talking about uh dimensions, I think, a bit before, and I had a really um, interesting question, or at least that I thought was interesting. How many dimensions do you think are possible? I'll say. And the main reason I, I posed this question is because the next question I was going to ask was going to be whether you think, you know, string theory is a possibility and mm-hmm. how they, how they posit that there are 10 dimensions, three of which we can see and live in. And the rest are pretty much microscopic quantum dimensions that are kind of like wrapped up into one another. Right. So I I guess the question that I'm trying to ask is, do you really think there can be more than like three or four dimensional space than we can see now? And do you think that it's like, um, what's the word for it? Like quantized. Do you think that these dimensions are quantized? Okay. Um, So first thing, I want to be really careful when we say like wrapped up and kind of like... Yeah, I didn't really define it properly, but I'm just trying to give a loose, vague description. It's just like on a... Uh, in in very high level maths, they will use words like like nested and mm-hmm. wrapped up, and it doesn't. And the reason why we do it is because physical things make sense to our human brains, so we like take really abstract things and use normal words to describe them. Do you know what I mean? Like the thought yeah. of a dimension being nested is more like it's more of a mathematical abstraction than it is like then it then it is for like your average person to hear someone say like a microscopic dimension and think mm-hmm. like a subset of a subset of space is somehow smaller than another one so like i first just want to like put some clarity on that so that way it doesn't sound like you know like pseudoscience yeah 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 so just for like listeners and stuff like in that in that respect just to answer the question directly yeah i'm positive which is such a ridiculous thing to say because I am no Nobel Prize winner. <laughs> there are gotta, there's got to be more dimensions than, you know, we interact with. Because, you know, like like you said, string theory posits somewhere like 10 or 11. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, what's it called? General relativity posits around basically four because we just add time and that extra dimension. And even, even when we say the word dimension, we don't even mean it in the normal euclidean sense where it's like just one extra axis like when they're talking about string theory it's like the concept of dimension gets generalized too because it's so mathematical it's not just like more space to move into it's like a different thing even like in and of itself it's like it's a very confusing concept it's like it's hard to even even for the amount of math i know it's still like it still pales in comparison to what they're really getting at like the really deep topology and like the really deep differential geometry and all that when i think of just like on a sort of philosophical sort of like we just like talking about physics level i go okay if the space i'm let's let's just go einsteinian the space i'm moving through and the time i'm 
moving over, I guess I could say. Mm-hmm. If that's described by this four-dimensional manifold space-time, then I'm clearly there's clearly things going on that I just am not being able to observe that must be going on. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could take like the classic example of like the ant on the ball, and he thinks he's on a two-dimensional thing, and we're like, no, you're obviously on a sphere. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I think yeah. we're the ant in so many respects, where so maybe another being could very clearly see like, oh, of course, like, you know, space-time is malleable in these weird ways, or or grab like for example, gravitational waves to certain beings might be just as obvious to us as water waves. Like, yeah, I think there's so many things that that's where you can have the great question of like, you know, when you're doing math and you're kind of and people are generalizing and generalizing and generalizing, and you're like, okay, how much of this is real, quote unquote? Because yeah. I always ask myself that. I go like, are we doing math for the for shits and giggles here, or like, is there? I always want there to be some sort of application maybe do you know what i mean yeah like what's really like going on and so in that respect you can generalize and generalize and generalize and we've all heard this classical thing where it's like someone solves the problem in pure maths and then 40 years later that describes a physical phenomenon perfectly yeah but at the time, it was just this ridiculous fact about 12 dimensional spheres do you know what i mean <laughs> I find it a coincidence that all this math that seems ridiculously abstract to us, but works like, okay, quantum mechanics is the best example. The math is like so dense, so theoretical, so abstract. It's not something we experience on an everyday basis, but for some reason it's predicting things. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like if the ant just somehow started thinking harder and harder and harder and he goes, no, well, I'm actually I'm on a 3D thing, even though I can't see the 3D thing. The same way we're in this 4D space time, we don't see this fourth time dimension in like a spatial way you know what i mean so in that respect that's why i do genuinely feel and i feel like all of us do that when we're doing these this physics and this math we're peeling back some layers of reality that we don't necessarily get to interact with directly but we're figuring it out you know what i mean yeah that's that's one of the main reasons why i started going into math and physics is because i'm so interested in like what is actually happening and how much i can actually know because there's definitely uh, there's more things that I that I don't think humans will ever be able to know than things that we know now. I don't know if that made sense, but yeah. I think the entire concept of physics is just a baby asking why. Like I'm not even joking. I think that's the entire concept because the entire notion of science started when people asked started asking questions, right? And the question predominantly being why. Like, why does this happen? Why does that happen? And the problem with science, or not, or not really problem, but the challenge is that the moment we answer one question, there are 10 more questions on that answer. Yeah. Right? And that's, and that's the entire reason why I don't really think we will ever truly know everything. Because anything that we say or prove or answer, we will have 10 questions for that answer. So it'll just keep going on in this exponential sense where we'll really never figure out truly every single answer in the universe, but we can obviously try to get as close as possible. I completely, yeah. Like just to piggyback off that, like it's, it's such a, it's, that's really just the nature of science, right? Yeah. And that's why, you know, it's, that's why you can also get into the debate of like, is math a science? And personally, I, I don't think so. Cause math, you don't do an experiment. 
really that's it. Do you know what I mean? You can yeah, that's true. That's you true. can you can introduce a new mathematical object, define and you can define things, and then you can see what corollaries come about, and that's what math research really just looks like. But I don't. It's not necessarily you know like physics. You actually have to go out and you describe observation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Math and mm-hmm. physics is like it's kind of like in math you set up the world and then you play within it and you see what's going on. And then physics, you're given that world and you're trying to work backwards. So like math, you set up the axioms. It's like sandbox mode. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You define what you want a function to be. You define set theory. You define like everything of math is just defined by humans, right? So then you get is math discovered or is it invented? And it's probably more so invented, but the fact that it's describing so many things in physics, which are completely discovered, makes it seem like you're discovering math at the same time but i'm not exactly sure if we are i was actually gonna just ask you that question if uh, you think math is discovered or invented (laughs) yeah i was listening to um another podcast with three blue one brown and he said something that was super interesting he said that um like math works so well in our world that it kind of feels like it's a discovery that you're discovering something but at the same time um like a world where simple mathematical descriptions aren't possible could not like that kind of world could not support intelligent life Mm -hmm. which which is like a super deep statement because if you actually think about it it's it's super interesting because if you can't describe things simply Mm -hmm. and like let's say like f equals ma was just super incompressible and super very very difficult to uh uncover i guess then maybe that world is just not fit for it being discovered Hmm. if that if that makes sense you can't explain it simply you don't know it well enough albert einstein Sorry, I I I just heard uh, uh, can't explain simply, and I just thought of that quote. Yeah, I mean he he definitely didn't go. His idea was far from the simplest take. I think he kind of <laughs> he kind of like just shook the world up when he dropped that those papers, you know. And that was stretch, and you know I can't wait to have this type of conversation with you guys again in a year, where you just have like yeah more perspective on. <clears throat> the math that like kind of underpins all this stuff and even more of the physics and then you know what i mean and then and then a year after that do you know what i mean it's so it's so crazy how much info stuff in our brains over the course of like four months yeah. it's insane very true yeah it's actually crazy yeah i definitely understand that you're about to learn in the second year it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm excited for it though i'm so excited everything that you understand right now is just going to get generalized so much. Even like, I, like I heard you guys talking about moment of inertia on that last podcast, like even that concept, once you get to 354, once again, that's the third year classical mechanics course, it becomes, you, you form it, you formalize in the language of tensors, which are, Oh yeah. And I'm sure you guys have heard that before. Like, yeah. Like you can have moment of inertia vector where you just associate the position with it as well. Normally what we do is we integrate to find the magnitude of it. You know, that's where you always get a number like one over 12 MR squared or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But you can also express it as a vector quantity if you want. 
But anyways, you can generalize those to tensors, which are like, you you know what a matrix is. You guys both know what a matrix is. It's kind of yeah. like, once again, for, for all listeners, I should have just like ad hoc everything right at the beginning. I'm speaking super hand wavily about a lot of stuff. And please don't, all my, um, I know I got, I got friends with the rigor. I get it. <laughs> but we're, we're shooting the shit right now. Okay. We're having a good time. Yeah. But for like, for example, a tensor, like you, you know what a matrix is now add a third dimension to the matrix. So make it a cube. And now oh. <laughs> I bet you never thought of that. You no. know, the same way you can put entries in a matrix, you can make like a Rubik's cube where each little box is an entry in this tensor as opposed mm-hmm. to a matrix. And then that can describe things as well. And like, blah, blah, blah. I'm not super knowledgeable on tensor calculus. It's more like fourth year real analysis or maybe even third year, but blah, blah, blah. That's once again, rigor, rigor police. Please don't shoot me. <laughs> we are, we are pulling up on 34 minutes now. Um, should we just end it here? I think we can end it. Yeah. I think, uh, I think this was pretty good. Once again, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was really great having you here. Yeah, man. I had a great time. I had a great time. This was thank you, thank you. super fun. Um, this is, and once again, like this is just what for everyone listening, who's like, maybe not in this stuff completely, which I doubt you made it this far. If you're not into this stuff completely. <laughs> yeah. or your Parker's girlfriend, it's one of the two. <laughs> um, this is just kind of like what we do. Like we, we, we talk like, you know, for fun. And this is, this is, this is a blast for me guys. Once again, thank you because like I said, we don't get the opportunity to do this type of stuff enough. You know what yeah, I, mean? I know. Especially with sit down and talk about math and physics. Yeah, and just like get to be get to be fascinated about it. Like this, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, like the same way most people can just sit down and like nerd out about you know things they care about, art history, uh, yeah, politics, sociology, um, things like that. And I, I'm I like that stuff. I get down with that stuff, but. You know, I I love that we're taking the opportunity to nerd out about things that are less accessible than we're talking about art. Mm-hmm. That people are seeing that we that you can do this, and that we can kind of like promote this idea of science communication and math communication even further. Because I think it's like I think it's something that everyone has a natural fascination with. Like you can't put a toy in a baby's hand and not have them freak out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like yeah. do anything physical or scientific. And stuff like that. And I think you guys agree. And honestly, maybe next time we can talk about math and physics education and ha- and the issues sure. with it. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. This is something I'm passionate about. But um, I was actually going to ask you a question about, like, how would you, you know, teach science to youth and stuff like that? We were actually going to have, like, that kind of talking session. But maybe next time. Maybe part three. Yeah, I think we should definitely, like, have that as a talking point. Yeah. For another yeah, man. But just to, just like what I was saying, it's just... I love seeing dudes like Neil deGrasse Tyson. We all love him. Idolize him as a beast. Because yeah. open about his science communication, he doesn't buffer it with all this terminology that's too hard to follow. And majority of what you can see in his voice and his face is just passion about it. And that's what really speaks to people. And that's what's going to make people tune in and like care and be like, oh, maybe I kind of like that stuff. True. And I want, that's why I'm super in support of this because it's like, Hey, we get to come be us right now, which yeah. you know can't really do it on a daily basis. Yeah, like everyone I've talked to, 
they would think like, oh, dude, like, and we all get this stereotype. Oh, you guys are smart. Like, yeah, great. Like, love to hear it, but whatever. <laughs> right. And, you know, it goes well with the parents. It goes well with like, oh, like your aunt. Oh, what? Do you, oh, I study physics and math. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. You can't hear it. You know what I mean? You get yeah. like, well, you don't get to actually like, you know, share it properly. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. I think this is, these things are the best, like open form, free flowing, just talking, nerding it out. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. That's the point. That's the whole point of the podcast. Yep. Yeah. And just spark, spark interest in like just anyone listening. And cause it's really the same way dudes will get around the table and talk about politics. This is just guys being dudes for everyone listening. <laughs> this is the best way I can put it. This In is our just, field, this is exactly what guys <laughs> being This is what guys being dudes looks like, okay? <laughs> if you're around the table and there was a couple of beers out, it, it would be as basic as any other type of get together. But yeah. once again, just huge shout out to you guys. Love to get back on it. I, this is really cool that I got to be the first part tour. I feel like I feel yeah. like. I, <laughs> got to do like six hours or something crazy yeah <laughs> well we're making history right now so yeah, yeah. It, it was a pleasure having you on we can't wait to have you on again sure. and uh yeah so i am your host parker and i am ray and we will see you soon see ya see ya